Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Gospel of John. Today I want to speak about, well, the passage is about how Jesus was captured and then how he faces trial before Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and then about how, Jesus, how Peter denies Jesus. I know this, we are still a month away from Holy Week and from Good Friday and Monday Thursday, but well, it is good at this time of Lent to start thinking about the values of the kingdom and how Jesus differs from values of this world. So let's turn to John chapter 18 and I'll read from verse 1 to 27. John 18 verse 1 to 27. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to him, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who, was, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard and of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who made a charcoal fire, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness against the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? 
Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today I want to talk about the difference between cynical pragmatism and faithful and faithful obedience, trusting obedience. Now before I, on the outset, before I even talk about it, let me explain that when I talk about this issue, it is not as though I have perfectly right and it is such a holy and easy thing to obey. I must say that it is one of the biggest struggles of everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. And I certainly struggle with this issue of cynical pragmatism versus trusting obedience. So even as I talk about how important it is to trust, to obey in a trusting way and not be cynically pragmatic, I also know that so often all of us, and I especially, fall into this trap. So the appeal too is that we be conscious of our actions, of our behaviour and of our motivations and then to gently correct each other where we go wrong again. Because to be cynically pragmatic is to not have faith in God at all. So what do I mean by cynical pragmatism? To be cynical then is to believe that nothing can change, especially that God is not in charge. When we talk about cynicism then, we assume or we are stating that God is not able to intervene, that God has no control, that God doesn't care or whatever, that God is out of the picture. And so we are cynical about things. To be pragmatic then is to find easy solutions uh, from what appears to the eye. If I see some uh, a way out easily, then that's being pragmatic. But trusting obedience is just the opposite. It's to believe that God is in charge of all things and to entrust our lives to Him and then to obey Him in the things that really matter. So it is a very difficult test, but it does test how much we really believe in God and His ways and His ability to act out His will. Cynical pragmatism then is to live without faith and trusting obedience is to live by faith. And so this story today illustrates very great contrast between cynical pragmatism and trusting obedience. And I shall raise some examples. Judas. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. But not only did he betray Jesus, they came and thought of safety in numbers. He gathered a group of soldiers. He gathered also the officers from the high priest. So there were two groups, the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and then also a band of soldiers. And they went looking for Jesus with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So often we find safety in numbers. We believe then that we live, we are right, or we are powerful, or we have control when we have numbers. Judas Iscariot then brought a large number of soldiers and officers from the, the priests to go and arrest Jesus. It is cynical because there is no faith in God or no consideration of God. And it is very practical. In case there is a fight, we will overwhelm them. But we look in contrast at Jesus. When Jesus was confronted by them, 
He was not afraid at all, but rather he said, well, that's me. I am the one. Jesus entrusted his life to the Father. And when he was arrested, he did not deny, he did not hide himself. So bold was he that it was recorded that the soldiers took a step back and fell backwards. I suppose they were so shocked that Jesus was not going to run, that Jesus was simply going to look them in the eye and say, it's me. But he, Jesus did even one further step. When Peter struck Malchus, the priest, the high priest's servant in the year, Jesus told him to put his sword back. But the reason P Jesus told Peter to put his sword back wasn't that, hey, look, man, we are outnumbered. If you want to fight, you're going to die. We have no fight. Or Jesus wasn't even thinking of that. But rather, Jesus' reason was this, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? There is a great difference in that. There's one thing to be very pragmatic and say, well, just look at the numbers. We're going to lose. So let's not fight. It's a totally different thing when he says, shall I not take the bitter cup that my Father has laid out for me? Jesus accepted what was happening, not because he felt outnumbered, but simply because he knew that God was in charge. How much did Jesus trust his God that even when there was a possible fight to run, he did not run, not because he was outnumbered or he knew that he was going to lose, but simply because he trusted his father. Once again, we see cynical pragmatism, that of safety in numbers or safety in power. When Jesus gave an answer to to the high priest and said, I have done everything in public. Why don't you ask the Jews who have heard me? He was struck by one of the officers. Once again, we often take courage and take safety in numbers, in authority, in power. Often when we make decisions, we ask ourselves, we calculate, how much advantage do I have? How much clout do I have? How much power and authority do I have before doing what? I do. Jesus, on the other hand, only spoke the truth. He didn't care that he was outnumbered by the powers that be. He didn't care that he was at the mercy of the powers that be. Instead, he answered the officer, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. If I, what I said is right, why do you strike me? In Jesus' outlook to life, it was simply a matter of right and wrong. If I did wrong, then punish me. If I did right, why do you hurt me? You know, often we talk, we deal with the law with a very cynical pragmatism. And as an ex-lawyer, I know that the part of the trial is to find out what the prosecution has against us. It's very little about whether I'm doing it right or I'm doing it wrong. But to whether I get caught, I will not get caught. Whether there is enough evidence against me or there isn't. But when we learn from Jesus about what is right, what is wrong, as Martin Luther once said, when you sin, sin boldly. Basically, don't hide your sin. Don't, don't, don't do things in private or in the dark. Be unashamed of all that you do, including your sin. 
It's something, a lesson that I need to learn again and again. That I need to be transparent in my life and to be open with my life. And it's a struggle for me as it is for each of you. That often we live double lives. A life that's hidden behind the law, hidden behind the unseen, hidden behind numbers. And a life that is real, that we actually live it out, which we are ashamed of people to know. And I wish then that we could be more and more honest and transparent in our dealings. As it is now, we struggle with that, but leave that and allow the Lord to guide us and to slowly change that. I'm not asking for change overnight, but let's be, on, let's be conscious of this truth. And then again, Peter lied. You know, one of the funny things I discovered as I read this is that Peter had no need to lie at all. You see, the, the other disciple who took Peter into the courtyard was known to the high priest, it says. So he was known whether as a friend or as an acquaintance or even as, as a notorious person, but he was known to the high priest. I think quite clearly he was known in a favourable way because he entered the courtyard of the high priest. So he must have been quite an important person. And he even managed to get the servant girl who was serving the, who was guarding the door to let Peter in. So this disciple had clout. And I'm sure then that being known by the high priest, he was also known to be a disciple of Jesus. In fact, it's quite clear when, um, when the maid, the servant girl said to Peter, you also, are you not one of the man's disciples? Also one of them? She must have been referring to the disciple, the other disciple who was a friend, who was known to the high priest. And so the high priest, actually, no, the disciple had actually confidently walked in to observe the trial of Jesus, knowing full well that he was known to be a disciple of Jesus. And he was bringing his friend, his fellow disciple, Peter, into the room. But Peter was so filled with fear that immediately when questioned by the servant girl, aren't you also one of them? It's almost like, hey, that man is one of his disciples. Are you not also one of them? Peter quickly denied it. It was self-preservation. Once again, he thought that it was pragmatic, and yet on hindsight, as we look at it, maybe he was just being silly. And sometimes when we, in our dealings, we try very much to be pragmatic, without believing that God too is sovereign over all things. I remember years ago when I was a lawyer, I was dealing with a transaction. We wanted, we owned several units in a building, but we needed, we wanted a majority. And so we were trying to buy a few more units from other occupants, other owners of the units. But we weren't prepared to just buy them at the premium. We wanted to buy them at the lowest price ever. And so I masqueraded as an independent buyer, nothing associated with this large company that owned several units already and was seeking to be a majority owner. And the worst thing was I began to badmouth the tenants in that building. The silly thing was that these tenants actually were tenants of our company the units owned by my company and they were nightclubs they were sleazy places they were massage parlors that our um, that our company had leased to these people 
What I told the prospective sellers then was that, hey, look, this building is a really notorious, lousy, cheap place. Just look at all those massage parlors. Look at these nightclubs. Look at these unsavory places. Who's ever going to buy? Who, which decent person is ever going to buy your unit? My hope then was to really depress the prices so that we could buy them cheap. And of course, we were the ones who owned the units that these sleazy places were operating. And then I got into a web of lie after lie. As the sellers, as the unit holders began to suspect that I might have come from the big company, they started questioning me. And I told lie after lie after lie and web of lies to finally I had no place to go. And then the own, the, my manager came and took over and gave me a real hard scolding about honesty and stupidity. It was a shameful experience then. But I learned from the experience that often when you get into a web of lies, what is cynical pragmatism only gets you deeper into trouble. It was a hard lesson, especially when I was trying to share the gospel with him about truth. <laughs> But you see, so often as we get ourselves trying to be practical, pragmatic, in a way that does not trust God, we weave ourselves and get ourselves into deeper trouble. And then Typhus. Typhus was the person who suggested that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now that was really self-preservation. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the Jews being worried that if Jesus got too popular, the Romans might come and remove the Jewish status and maybe even quell any possible demonstrations and rebellion. And so as the Jew, the Pharisees and the chief priests were agonizing that over that, Caiaphas was the high priest and said, hey, that's an easy solution. Just kill that one man. It's better to kill that man than to let the whole nation of Israel fall into trouble. And so he proposed having Jesus executed and then there would be peace again. What a cynical, pragmatic man he was. He did not recognize that Jesus was the king of kings even though he saw all the miracles. In fact, it had to do with Jesus' popularity because he raised Lazarus from the dead. He missed all that. All he saw was how pragmatic it was to kill this faith healer and all that would be would be peace. How foolish, because in his cynical pragmatism, he failed to realize that God is sovereign over all. Of course, God used this, this stupidity to work his greatest act of salvation. But we compare that with Jesus and how he stood firm, accepting the will of his father and saying, well, if it is my father's will to drink that cup, then let me drink it. How then do we find applications for that? I have two. The first, of course, is this, that we pray daily that our faith in God will grow. We pray daily that more and more we need not be cynical, but to believe that God is sovereign over all things. More and more we believe then that what it seems pragmatic need not be right, but that we stand for the truth, we stand for goodness, we stand for the will and the desires of our Lord. 
And often as we make decisions, we need to remind ourselves and remind each other of the need to trust our Lord rather than to jump to the first pragmatic solution that does not have God in the picture. But the second practical application of this is even more important. It is to us who are leaders, pastors, LCC leaders, committee members of different committees and ministries. And it's a reminder of the influence that we have on our people. Caiaphas had advised the panel of Pharisees and priests of something that was cynically pragmatic, just killed that one man. And that brought about a whole cycle of sin and destruction. They killed Jesus simply because the high priest suggested it. That tells us how influential, how powerful the voice of one evil man can be. And it makes us very, very conscious of this. Which is why Paul admonished Timothy that it is one should not aspire, while one should want to aspire to serve God, one should think carefully before becoming a teacher or an elder because the responsibility of a teacher or decision maker weighs heavily on him. That we have a responsibility for our flock, we have a responsibility for the people who listen to us. That should we give cynical, pragmatic advice to people, we may very well steer the church or our cell group or people who serve along with us into a direction that is no longer trusting, no longer obedient to God. We must always be careful of this. In our discussions at LCC, at PPRSC, in our discussions, in our small groups, in our committees, let us be ever conscious of the need to trust our God and to turn to Him and to make decisions that are kind and compassionate, that are honest, rather than those that are pragmatic, that get us our way quickly, disregarding the fact that God is sovereign over our church. And sometimes these decisions are extremely difficult. And hard as they may be, let us gently remind each other that we have a God who is very much involved in our lives and whose ways need not always give us the fastest way out or the most preferred way in our eyes. Even as Jesus refused to strike, to fight back, because he was willing to drink the cup that his father gave him, the very painful hard cup of death and suffering, that he might save the world. And so we too need to realize that sometimes the difficult decisions, the decisions that are difficult for us to swallow, may be the way of God maybe the cup that God has called us to drink. I know I've said a lot of lofty things and I myself find it extremely hard to obey that. But let's journey together because this is the way of trusting God. This is the way of knowing God. And if day by day we learn and we make mistakes and we fail again and again, at least we grow when we hold in our hearts and our minds the need to trust that God will make things right 
and then to live obediently and trustingly with Him. Let us pray. Father, there's so many times when we find it hard to trust You. So many times when we prefer the pragmatic way, the way of numbers, the way of bullying people, the way of safety in large numbers, the way of lying and double lives. Father, there are so many ways where we compromise on our faith because we don't believe that you are sovereign among us. And God, we fail and we fail and make decisions that are wrong and sinful, whether they're personal decisions or they are corporate decisions. Father, teach us day by day how to live by faith that in living by faith we may believe that you are sovereign over all things even decisions that are unfavorable to us father we may grow in our faith that as we do so we may know that indeed you are god who is so powerful and so loving and so close to us so father day by day Wean us from the need to be cynical, cynically pragmatic and help us then by faith to take each step to obey you because we trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I hope that you have a very good week ahead. I'll see you on Sunday and then God bless you. And goodbye.